Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we have the privilege of having Dutch Rojas on our show today. He is going to tell us all about cash surgery centers and how he and transparency in, in healthcare and pricing. That's mainly what he's going to going to do. So, um, Dutch, without further ado. Um, uh, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet All right, you. Thank you. It's wonderful. Okay. So Dutch, tell us a little bit about your history. Uh, let's see. I think that in 1997, I built my first surgery center here. I'm today I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma or everyone health hospital or everyone health office. We have, uh, there's four companies that I founded, um, that makes it sound way bigger than it is. They're all pretty small. Um, in 1997, I, I did develop our first surgery center here in Tulsa and then went on to develop just over 100 and um, really started learning about the insurance business and more particularly the self-funded insurance business when large employers started calling us and asking us for direct contracts in 2006, 7, and 8. And by the time 2009 rolled around, I'd figured out that the business of maximizing revenue was not for me and the business of billing insurance for as much money as we could possibly get was probably not the way that I was going to lead my life. And so we got into the employer-sponsored health plans. Then we got into the surgery futures and options business. And then we got in the consumer business. And so that's where we're at. But I love talking about price discovery, um, economics. Uh, I'm an accountant by trade. And so I love talking about all those things. So tell us a little bit about it. What do you like talking about about it? Uh, I think that the average person doesn't know. You know, everybody knows the price of milk. Everybody knows the price of a hamburger. Everybody knows the price of a car by brand. Everyone kind of has a basic trend line rule in their life, but no one understands. You know, I mean, we did, the U.S. consumed 15 billion lab tests in 2019, right? Those are NIH numbers, and you can find them by Googling. Um, no one understands that there were 200. 40 million radiology tests, about 90 million colonoscopies and upper endoscopies, and nobody knows the price, right? We just go in and the doctor, the gastroenterologist really nicely says, hey, every five years, you're 45, I just turned 45, so you need to get a colonoscopy. And I'm like, well, what's the price? And they don't know, right? But we know what the price is for the visit. It's $240 and know your insurance is not going to cover it because your deductible is $7,800, right? And so these are the kinds of things that we've started this conversation over the last 10 or 15 years, and we keep having it with, uh, with, with um, our customers. So a lot of it's about educating consumers, educating employers, and also educating physicians. I mean, you guys, you said you just got back from the FMMA meeting. Those physicians surely understand um, price transparency and the power of it. but nine out of 10 docs. No, no. I mean, and I've been working with physicians since 97. They don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't know. I mean, we'll have a call. We had a call with a wonderful group out of Michigan, a wonderful orthopedic group. And at the end of the call, after you've explained everything, gone through the slides, worked really hard, they'll say, now, how does this have to do with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan? I mean, these are the kinds of challenges that we encounter. So our, our job, like your job, is just to make sure everybody knows what the price is of a basic lab test and so on and so forth. 
Janet, what do you what questions do you have for Dutch? Well, Dutch, since since Sean and I have been cash for since 2002, it just seems really hard to me that individuals or entities are unable to put prices on their procedures or their labs or their tests. So what do you think the biggest holdup in being transparent or open about what the fees are to the consumer? What's the biggest roadblock? I actually think that just doctors in general don't, no one's really approached them about this solution. I mean, half of the surgeons, right? There's only about 50,000 surgeons in the country. Half of the surgeons we talk to have never even heard of price transparency and see no reason for it. They're like, well, I have a revenue cycle management company and they send a bill to your carrier. So there's no there's no real compelling reason for them. They don't, they don't think they're making medical treatments more expensive. They don't think they're doing anything by just following the traditional road, right? So there's been no real kind of reason or compelling reason for them to have transparent prices. The interesting thing is, I think labs, certainly um, other companies who are in our space never saw the need to do lab tests. They're like, well, that's dumb. They're five bucks. Like, why would I want to do it? You know, and then for the last 10 years, we've been saying, well, if you know an, empl an employee has a lab and then they have a radiology test, like that could be indicative of them maybe needing a procedure. And so as you take all of that data and you begin putting it together, we have a bunch of really smart data scientists, not me, right, that work for us. When you begin putting those that information together, what it shows you, like we look at seven or eight years of data, it kind of tells you, well, one person out of 19 people who have an MRI of the thoracic spine will need a procedure. Right, you can begin kind of understanding those, those those correlating factors. And so we think it's really important for people to do, you know, to have transparent prices for all of those things and to include all of those things in their, you know, kind of their no deductible plans or no copay plans. So what do you think is the best method to help spread the word on, you know, educating consumers about transparent pricing and healthcare and how they should price shop? Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, you know, I think we're doing our best. Our direct-to-consumer program launches September 15th. Um, we'll have a website that will allow people to go, click, I want to buy a lab test. I mean, it, people harp on me for talking about lab tests all the time, but I'm going to share with you, when, when the U.S. consumes 15 billion lab tests or 45 lab tests per person in the United States, that's a significant number. The average lab test, at a hospital system, right? Doesn't matter if it's a not-for-profit hospital system or a for-profit hospital. You know, basic lab tests like a, a complete metabolic panel run you $147. How is it that a kid from Scottsdale, Arizona gets a price of $5.47? How's that even possible? People ask me that all the time. You, the three of us know the answer, but the point is like, I, you know, the health shares members are ready. Uh, consumers with high deductibles, we call them functionally uncovered, right? Because they they're, they don't have savings to match their deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance. We think that market is really ready and ripe uh, to pay cash, just like they do for your at your compounding pharmacy. I mean, you guys seem to be, you're, you're kind of leaders in the industry and you didn't know it. Well, it feels like when uh, we have individuals who are able to, um, you know, work through 
purchasing a car or a house or companies even, you know, uh, building a building or building a house that we've learned over the years to be able to handle that as consumers. So um, I, I feel like it's on the end of the healthcare professional side that we haven't been able to make this easy for our market. No, it's it's not easy, but I think the tools are coming out, right? Like we're launching a direct-to-consumer play, uh, and I bet you that there are 10 to 12 other companies that are launching theirs. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I would say that mine's the best, whatever. But I of think, course. look, if you were gonna, if we're if we're gonna disintermediate, right, the networks, which is really the goal, and we're gonna make healthcare affordable and accessible for everyone, we have to mm -hmm. we have to believe, which I do, uh, that competition creates higher quality outcomes and lower prices. And so uh, when we look when we look at that, we say, well, if we can get transparent prices to equal competition, and competition gives us lower prices and higher quality outcomes. It's not just important for the US, that's important for the entire world. Like I'm from the Netherlands, I became a citizen at 21. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just as important to have it in Holland and the UK where I went to graduate school and everywhere else I've traveled around the world. I think it's just as important for them to have affordable and accessible care. I think when you have networks standing in the way, that third party, right? When you have that in the way that keeps it from being affordable and accessible and it keeps the prices from being needing to be transparent. But I certainly think that in the next three or four years, we're going to see big changes. I don't I don't think that consumers are willing to put up with this much longer. If you go onto Twitter or LinkedIn, which you guys are a part of, I mean, those are the massive complaints, right? Like, hey, we have to get out of the way of competition. Competition is the only way that we actually create this system that we really want. I tend to agree with that. I think the consumers are going to force this into the free market system because, you know, we were talking at the uh, meeting this week or last week that, you know, used to go to a travel agent to be able to plan your vacation. Well, now you go to Expedia or booking.com or some form mm -hmm. of, of, um, you know, direct link to those uh, entities that are offering you a service. And so, you know, I'm too, super excited to see that end up in healthcare because I think it links people to like-minded thinking and then transparency comes from that because there's no way that you could put your price on it if you're going to have a, a media device like that or, or a system like that without being transparent. I mean, think of how wonderful it's going to be. Right. Like, so pretend that there's 20 Amazons of, you know, 20 stores, e-commerce platforms that are super powerful and they all have prices. Now, imagine that you're a gastroenterologist working at a large health system. Right. Your price is going to be four hundred dollars for a visit. Right. And there's going to be all these really smart surgeons who have figured out that what if I charge a dollar for a visit then I can actually get the money from where it actually matters. The right. surgery. Think about how many deaths, like, I'm like, you know, I mean, I've built and managed and been the CEO of a bunch of practices. And I'm like, when we have docs come on, so we have like just over 5,000 surgeons that are a part of our network, right? Network with a little N. And when we talk to them, we're like, why, why do you charge $700 for a visit? Like, 
or four hundred dollars. They're like, well, this is the way we've always done it, Dutch. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, <laughs> how about you charge a how about you charge a dollar, and then tell the whole world, like you're in New York City. I know that you get thirty five thousand dollars for a total joint, and I know that people aren't compelled to leave New York City, right? Like once you're in Manhattan, you're not leaving. Right. Well, we now have orthopedic surgeons in Manhattan that charge a dollar for a visit. They're overwhelmed with visits, which is wonderful. And now they're figuring out how do we, well, okay, now, how do we make sure that we're seeing the patients that we need to see? Because now you're grabbing up all the business. So we're right. seeing free market principles applied to healthcare. And that's really, that's like, I couldn't ask for more. That's what I want. I want cheaper, better, faster now. Right. I think. I think that is so true. I, because I, I see you're smiling, so must, you guys must agree. <laughs> yeah, yes. well, and, and here's the thing. You know, Dutch, this is really nothing new. I mean, all we have no. to do is we have to look at plastic surgeons. And plastic right. surgeons for the last 30 years, they give free consultations, right? Right? They don't even charge a dollar. Amazing. They give free consultations hoping free they consultations can talk you in. Right. Yeah. Hoping they can talk you into plastic surgery. So um, that's the way the free market works. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some people, i.e. hospitals and big corporate clinics that don't like that model because they're able to compete. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, I can't wait for them not to compete. I, I, look, <laughs> I mean, I think if you look at my LinkedIn account between 2010 and today, right, people say that we post an average of, uh, or at least I do, about six times a day. And the one thing I've said is hospitals are done. They're finished. Like we have to figure out how do we separate EDs, emergency departments from hospitals? Because that's really what people need. You know, like you, you talk to a lot of consultants, I'm sure. And they'll say, you know, 18% of our business is outpatient. 22%, this is a fair metric, is inpatient. When we look at those inpatient metrics, two thirds of what goes inpatient has no business being impatient. Now, if you have a BMI of 50, right, then you can't come to an ambulatory surgery center. You can't go to a surgical hospital, but that's not the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people don't belong. And so I, I just think hospital owners have been living off very expensive rents and they've made a lot of money uh, and they're gonna go bankrupt. And they're 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 going to be disrupted just like the taxi business, just like Polaroid, just like Blockbuster, just like all the all the steel companies. Everything that everyone has talked about in disruptive innovation is now going to occur in healthcare. And what you said is spot on. It's not new. I wrote my master's thesis in 2008 about surgery futures and options. I was studying capital markets and derivatives at a school in England. And of course, you have to write your master's thesis, otherwise they don't let you graduate. Well, I wrote it on bundling surgeries as futures and options contracts. Now, I'm from the Netherlands, so I have an advantage over everyone. I mean, we had the tulip mania in, 60, in the 1600s. Right. So I understand futures and options really well because I'm from the Netherlands. But it's not new. We do it every day here. I mean, there's a commodities exchange in, in Chicago. There's a, the, the NYMEX is in New York where we trade oil and gas contracts all day long. Here in Tulsa, the office that I'm sitting in today, um, they have one of the largest 
natural gas commodities exchanges in the country. Well, why can't we? Why can't why can't large corporations buy futures and options? Like, imagine you're Keith Smith, and then take Keith Smith times a hundred, right? And you're a, you've got a great surgery center with a good reputation, and every single day, you post, hey. You can buy a hernia from me in 2022, 23, 24, 25, 26, whatever number you want to come up with for the year. And all you see is a declining price. And you say, well, we had 10,000 hernias last year. We had 7,500 the year before. So we had 17,500 in the last two years. Okay, let's come up with a strategy to contract for those the next two years based on this commodities exchange. So we've put a significant amount of capital. Well, not me. I mean, we've taken our earnings and then investors have come in to help us build that because there's no reason if we can build a great financial system, then why can't we build the greatest system of independent physicians posting their prices for institutions to buy? Like, why can't we do that? Well, of course we can. So well, as you I, said, it's not a new, it's not a new idea. No, I didn't that, invent it. it there's I just a lot. Decided to do it. Right. Now there's a lot of questions that I have now, at least a few questions that I have now um, based on, um, your little discussion there. So first of all, I want to say, are you really that um, optimistic that hospitals are going to go bankrupt? Yes. I mean, uh-huh. Absolutely. so here's one of the problems I see, and I can't remember, Dr. Smith talked about it last week on when we interviewed him. Um, you know, a lot of those hospitals were started, those community hospitals were started with public funds during post-World War II Halliburton hospitals. Is that correct? Do you remember the term? I don't know. But don't. Is, is, the, is the government going to really let the, them hospitals go bankrupt? I mean, honestly. Well, think about I mean, we have – so the number is just over 6,000 hospitals, right? Rural hospitals are different, right? Because if you live – like we did – we built a surgery center in between Albuquerque and Santa Fe, and that's about 45, 50 miles. And there's literally like nothing in between. So, you know, when you live rurally, like a lot of those people in New Mexico do, uh, you'll want to build a small center, right? This one happens to be owned by the hospital because, of course, it's a certificate of need state. And right. If an entrepreneurial doc decides to build something, they have to ask permission, of right? Course. Can may I please, <laughs> may I please, dear czar of the world, may I build something and open something? Anyway. Yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion. Certificate, certificate of need. Shouldn't the free market decide if there's a certificate of need, not the state government? Well, people ask me all the time. I'm like, because I harp on three. There's like three things, right? One of the things I try not to do on social media is I try not to promote our business. And I think if you talk to any of our followers independently of me, they'd say Dutch never talks about the four businesses he owns, right? And so. I try to talk about certificate of need states. There's 35 of them. North Carolina still uh, has theirs on hold during the pandemic. So there's 34 technically. Um, And then I talk about the caps on residency spots. Uh, That was done during the Balanced Budget Act of 97. And then I talk about uh, the limitations on um, physicians owning hospitals. Those are kind of my three solid bullet points that I kind of, but those are all free market principles. Like, why do we have 10,000 unmatched physicians a year? Like, wh- why? You're telling me we don't need more neurosurgeons? We don't need more orthopedic surgeons? We don't need more general surgeons? We don't need more ENTs? I mean, try to get a dermatology appointment. Good luck. 
Right. Try to get in and see an oncologist. It'll take a month. I mean, unless, of course, you know somebody. Right. Right. It's terrible. People call me and say, well, hey, I really need some help. I'm in Indianapolis. And I'm like, well, call this guy and tell him, you know me. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. No, it's it's unjust. Well, it's, it's a government controlling supply of something, and it, and it just never works. I mean, because they don't it know work. the market. No, no. Well, in 1997, right when we had this big compromise, when I was still young, we the government agreed that this would be a three-year kind of negotiated process, right? The Republicans and the Democrats got together and said, look, for three years, we're going to cap these residency spots because we need to balance the budget. And everybody that's involved with politics, which I absolutely abhor, said, oh, this is going to be great. We balanced the budget. And they talked about it for years. But it was like the worst thing ever because we still have res- we still have caps. So you have a whole bunch of unmatched physicians who can't go on to practice. And then there's a physician shortage. And then people say, well, there's technically a distribution shortage of specialties. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. There's 10,000 graduates who now owe $250,000. They have MD behind their name, but they're not allowed to practice. Like it's silly. Yeah, right. absolutely. Like, why was the government involved in that? Right. And their loans are due to the government, which is another crazy thing in itself. So they just made them slaves. Yeah, yeah for sure. That, that, that's, that's literally what it's done. I'm looking, I'm actually looking forward to reading your book because I really, like I'm from the Netherlands, right? And we're really nice and we're all tall and we generally have blonde hair. I, I don't, obviously. <laughs> uh but but I come from a country where it was like government runs everything. Yeah. And when I got to the United States, I remember landing and like I saw a truck for the first time. I thought that was amazing. You know, I'm like, what is that? You know, I saw big cars. You know, I'm used to taking the train and riding my bike. That's what everybody does in Holland. Generally, like most families have one car, maybe. Right. That's normal. And so I came into this world of the United States and I just see freedom and opportunity and principles. And then I, today I wake up and I see half the country that doesn't want that. They're like, well, we care about affordable and accessible care, but that's not really what they care about. They're like, no, we want the government to run it. And I'm like, eh, I don't think that I want the government to run it. Well, and right? my whole I, argument, I, yeah, and my whole argument, you know, my book's name is Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Yeah. And if anybody thinks that the government ruined healthcare and they think they're, or, or if anybody doesn't like the system now, well, 70% of our system plus, 70% plus is run by the government. So government. if they don't like it now, how can the government fix it? The only way is to get out. And it's free market principle. To get out. Well, I, you know, I got to serve in the Marine Corps, which I thought as a, as a person who wanted to become a citizen, I thought that that was a good idea. You know, so I went to boot camp this, this Christmas Day, 1996. Oh, wow. And, and which I thought was hilarious because I, I love that. I thought they might be easier on us, but they, I don't think they were. I don't I really think they were. Um, but you think about like, well, one, you know, 2% of the population serves. And then you start thinking about like, you can do whatever you want in this country. You can be whoever you want. Now there are limitations, right? Maybe you're not as smart as the next guy or whatever. But they're like, you can do anything you want here. And I don't think that half the country understands that. I, I got the opportunity to go to the VA, and I wish I never had that opportunity because the VA is terrible. Oh, uh, yeah. I live yes. in Phoenix, as you know. And if you look over the last five years about all the stories in Phoenix, 
I, I mean, I was shouting that from the time I came home in 2004. I was like, this is the worst VA of all time. They're not seeing us. They're not doing anything for us. They're not helping us. They're like, my friends are killing themselves and all they have to show is some pills. Right. And so, you know, you talk about this stuff and people go, oh, well, that guy's a right wing nut job. And I'm like, I've never posted anything about politics ever. I won't do it. Right. Because I'm like, hey, you, you, I want free market health care in New York just as much as I want it in California, just as much as I want in Arizona and Oklahoma. Right. Like, I don't care where you live. I want it to be cheap. I want it to be affordable and I want it to be high quality. And so I, I, I've, I've had a really hard time with the VA. Um, as I told you, I, I helped uh, the Center for Medicare Medicaid Innovation. That was a disaster. They've got wonderful people that work there, but no one listens to any of the suggestions they make. And so you've got, you've got a big bureaucratic government that can't do anything and they can't make any decisions. And I don't largely think they'll make healthcare do anything. The VA is a good example. Of, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're giving a good example of why we don't want government or healthcare. I mean, the VA is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And there's people that will defend the VA. They'll say, well, there's really good doctors at the VA. And I'm like, well, that's, I'm not talking about, are there good doctors or nurses? I'm sure there's good hearted people everywhere. We're talking about the institution. We're talking about why did the VA in Phoenix have 7,000 people on their waiting list that they didn't see that they happened to throw away, right? Their appointments. Like, that's what we're talking about. What they they have an EMR that they can't use. I mean, there's a lot of problems with that. Well, so it's, I think price, yeah. price it, transparency solves all those problems. Right, and it's because there's no accountability at the VA. I mean, the government has no accountability for them, so they they can. What are they uh, going to do? Fire, fire them? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And I agree. No, yeah, no, and I agree, Dutch. I think there's good doctors there, good nurses there. It's just a system oh, yeah. problem. It's that like most hospitals, big hospital corporate or big hospitals in corporate healthcare. There's good doctors there. Some of my friends are there, but the system sucks. No, I, I totally agree. I think one of the things I try to do is make it about the system, not about who works there. Right. Right. I don't, I mean, if you're a doctor and you're a cardiologist, you work at a hospital, I got no beef with you. What I have a beef with is the amount of money that you're trying to extract from an employer who's got 400 employees that pays all the bills themselves and you're charging them 5, 10, 15 X the real price. Right. You know, we talk about real prices and nominal prices and I'm like, well, this is just basic economics. I want a real price. And then I want real competition. One of the things I love about Keith, and I'm sure other people mention it, is all the surgery centers we have across the country, which there's a little over 600 of, those people are open for business for people from all 50 states. If you show up in West Virginia in Charleston, you might have an opinion about not going to West Virginia. I think it's a lovely place. And you say, I want a hernia. I need a total joint. I need X, Y, Z. It can be done in a wonderful facility with really high quality docs for a third of the price that you're used to paying. And when you say to a carrier like, hey, I just saved you money for an employer, they're not interested. They say, well, coinsurance is still 50%. We know it's cheaper than everything that we've provided for you, but like you're still going to have to pay the coinsurance. Like none of that makes sense to me. You know, and I, I think the mission you're on to promote price transparency is with everyone else. Price transparency eradicates all of this. Imagine if every practicing physician said, eh, let's get away from insurance. 
And you know what? We think self-funded insure self-funded companies help 160 million people across the country. Why don't we just post our prices on our website? And if you go, what we'll do as an employer, and we have a lot of employers that are beginning to do this now, mostly big companies, like 10,000 employees and higher. They're, they already don't have stop loss, right? So they don't care. They're like, right. hey, we're going to pay whatever it is. And now they have a, a guidance price. They'll say for an inguinal hernia, which we talked about, $4,000 is what Keith charges, maybe $3,800. What we're going to do is we're going to pay up to $6,500. Anything over that, like, hey, employee, that's on you. You want to go to the University of Chicago? Wonderful. Their price is $42,000. You pay the difference. But we now have 500 places for you to go around the United States, and you can pay up to 6500 bucks. Like, that to me seems like a way better system, right, where everybody has transparent prices and everybody says, my store's open for business. Then this whole network thing, like that's that's gone, and that, I, I think largely that's over. Well, what networks have created? If you look at those networks, those networks have created monopolies, and they yes. have those hospitals are in network, or the big the big corporate healthcare they're in those networks. They have no incentive to ever really get better, get less expensive, because they've got this big network that just automatically sends in patients, and the hospitals are in collusion with the help with the uh, insurance companies and it is like a cartel i mean literally and they use mob tactics oh yeah it is the cartel totally yeah and the only way to get rid of it is to have price transparency Free that's, market. that's the only way to break all this up you know Free market like, I it all. like the federalist system i like the federalist system but i don't like insurance commissioners you know what i mean they, they <laughs> yeah. run the con laws and they run the con committees the certificate <laughs> of being committees you're like we were in, in 2014, we were in New York. We were trying to buy a hospital. And um, I was a partner in ASC that I got out of. But anyways, the point is, you know, we wanted to build this new hospital. We had all the backing, all the money. We had some big banks that came in to help us. And then we had to go through this certificate of need process. Well, you can't, you, you're not going to make it. Like all the hospitals were like, why do we need another hospital? What do we need you for? Wait, your prices are low? No, no, we're not we're not gonna no, we're not doing that. Right. A monopoly. And they don't ever say that to your face. They don't ever say that to your face because they're all wearing ten thousand dollar, you know, custom suits and I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And they're like, No, nah, we're not letting this guy do anything. You know, and it's like, well, but don't you want better care for people? Don't you want better prices for people? Like, don't you know, like I love Keith's line about um, don't ask me why we're so cheap, ask them why they're so expensive. Right. Right. I always give them credit for that because I say it everywhere I go. I'm like, this is really true. And there's no incentive for them to go lower. Right. The the Affordable Care Act, as wonderful as people think it was, did two things that really hurt us. One, it set the margins of how much money the carriers could make. Terrible idea. Yeah. Right. They don't have to compete. Uh, like, hey, if we raise premiums, we can make more money. Well, that's like who thought that that was a good idea? And then, oh, well, let's get doctors out of the hospital. Like, they can't own hospitals. They'll steal everything. But in the meantime, we'll let BlackRock, Blackstone, Apollo, and all these other private equity groups that rule the world, we'll let them own it because that's a really good idea. You know, really, this whole system is pretty absurd. And again, it's such a simple process, right? Like, let's have competition, no monopolies. Let's have a couple of stores, right? I think there's going to be 
a thousand to fifteen hundred people like me that will have marketplaces that say, hey, you can get anything you want. Here's the price, right? We're going to connect you with a high quality physician, right? That's all we're doing, connecting patients mm -hmm. with high quality physicians that have transparent prices. That's it. And I think there'll be 1,500 marketplaces like that in the next five years. Well, and I somebody can tell will you. That and yep. it'll be great for everybody. I, I can tell you, uh, being at the Free Market Medical Association conference over the weekend and listening to Steve Forbes talk and talk about free markets. And, you know, think about this, Dutch. Think about, um, compare, let's compare uh, an industry, let's compare the cab industry. Well, let's compare the hotel industry. You know, imagine, remember before Expedia, you had to call travel agents and stuff to get hotels and stuff sometimes, yeah. right? And now you just search it on your smartphone. I mean, it's pretty darn simple. Yeah, pretty great. And you find out what price you want, what service you want, whether you want breakfast, whether you want a gym. And I, I think kind of what you're telling me is healthcare is, should be the same. Is healthcare a commodity like, like shopping for a hotel? Oh, absolutely. And, and there'll, be, there'll be pushback on is it a commodity. But I'll, I'd ask this question, right? Like, well, can people shop for lab tests? I mean, out of, out of, the, out of the six or 700 different types of lab tests, there's still the 2080 rule, right? Like 20% yeah. is 80% of the volume. Right. Like you look at a you look at a lipid panel or a complete metabolic panel, and you're like, we did a billion of these. You're telling me that someone can't understand the difference between a blood panel at the hospital and a blood panel at their local quest location? One's five dollars and forty-seven cents, and one is hundred and sixty dollars. Like right. everybody can figure that out. Sorry, you can't right. be a billionaire anymore because we're taking all that business from you. I mean, like it, it's it's like so. I have five kind of products that we focus on on the consumer side. This is just for so the consumer side for us is health shares, cash pay mm -hmm. patients, and DPC. Like, there's a ton of DPC docs that you know look at our platform and then say, "Oh yeah, my somebody needs a radiology test." I mean, an X-ray with three views. Why does that cost $190? There was a hospital in Charlotte that wanted $490 cash from one of our DPC clients. And we were like, well, it's $28 down the road. $28. So I think, yeah, I mean, this, this is, it's absurd. And so, yes, the majority of medical treatments are commodities. There is pushback from surgeons on this. They'll say, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, they get upset. And I say, respectfully, there were 50 million surgeries last year. Respectfully, you are so small of a number. Yes, your surgery is not a, a commodity, but the majority of the business is a commodity business. I mean, is an MRI in Tulsa, Oklahoma, really inferior to an MRI in New York City? Really? Right. Man, like you're telling me it's $6,000 in Manhattan? And it's $420 in Tulsa and like yours is that much better. Well, then why aren't people falling dead here? Like, right. I just don't understand that. Yeah. So, cause that's what yeah. you're saying. So I think that's the big pushback on the commodity argument is like, you won't get an argument from me. I was recently in the OR where I got to watch a wonderful surgery. Someone was a, a great neurosurgeon in Phoenix was removing a cancerous tumor from someone's spinal cord. Now, wow. this is such a complex procedure that the table 
they have the table set so that the vibrations of the earth don't affect the table. That's not a commodity surgery. No. And I totally get that. <laughs> right. That is a highly, I mean, I'm standing there for four and a half hours watching this deal. And it's amazing, right? The tool is like half the size of your pinky. The guy's in a mic. I mean, it's super complex. I got no issue with that, right? Like charged 500,000. Okay, I get it. What I have a problem with is out of the 17 billion treatments the United States consumes a year, 16 billion, 16 and a half billion of them are under $5,000. Yes, PT is a commodity. Yes, gastroenterology is a commodity. Yes, uh, physician visits are a commodity. They're, they're commodities. This is the way it goes. And it's going to be absolute mayhem for the next three or four years. The good news is that most docs want this. Most, uh, I, I would say most of the docs we talk to are ready. Like they're going like, get rid of certificate of need, get rid of these caps. We want more business and we don't want to, we don't want this pressure of consolidation into the hospitals. Right. I mean, think about most large markets, ortho, derms, general surgery, interventional pain, they're being eaten alive and they're being forced to be consolidated. Well, I mean, if you're a doctor and you want to work for yourself, what the world's telling you is like, hey, you can't because the banks want to own you. Right. Well, like, no, I don't want centralization. I want decentralization. I want everything broken up and I want full transparency. I want someone to shine a big spotlight on everything. So I, you know, this is what my life is about and this is what I want to do. And this is how we're trying to help people. Good. So um, as we wrap this thing up, uh, Dutch, so tell us, what do you have a passion for? What drives you? Every day. Uh, well, I'm 100% high energy. You can probably tell I'm not a low energy person, but I look, I really want affordable and accessible care for the whole world. Like I could give a rip about just the United States. Um, our consumer business, uh, we don't just work with the United doctors in the United States. We now have contracts in the UK, right? We're you, seemingly, if you pay attention to the media, it sounds like the NHS is just the most wonderful. They'll just see you whenever you want. They're just lovely. Well, I'm from the Netherlands and I didn't have that experience growing up. They don't see you whenever they want. Now, Dutch people will push back and say, well, now, you know, I mean, we get seen pretty soon. Like it's only three or four months. And I'm like, no, the free market wants to see you tomorrow. Right. Free market doctors will see you tomorrow. Hey, right. I want to hand you $48. Okay, we'll come in right now. Like, I'll see you right now. And so I want affordable and accessible care. I've had the privilege of growing up. Uh, I lived on three different continents. And so I lived in Asia for a while. I lived in Europe then came here. Uh, I've been to 42 countries. Um, I want affordable and accessible care for the world and I'm 45 and I hope that by the time I'm 85 or 90 and I expire, right. That that's what's available. Like, okay. I don't see any reason we were just in central America. I don't see any reason why I can't continue to build surgery centers in central America or why I can't go to South America. I, we were in Guyana a year ago, right before the COVID started, you know, working on a surgery center. Like, why can't I do that? I want to give those people the same care that I want to give every American. So I think that's what I'm passionate about. I want to help everybody. Uh, I'm pretty competitive, but people call all the time and say, well, what about this? And how do I do this? And I think, well, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I'm happy to give them free advice. I mean, it's worth what it's worth, but 
Like I don't hide anything from anyone. I want everybody to know the information because look, if we don't all work together, we can't really ever be competitors. I mean, there's in the, in the self-insured world, there's like five companies that do what we do. Well, we're together. We might be 1% of the entire business. Well, then you're really not my competitor, are you? Like, I'd rather collaborate with you. And when we own 25% of all the business, then like we can, you can do the snarky, like we're your competitor thing. <laughs> right. But until then I'm like, well, look, we haven't even gotten anywhere, man. I mean, we're nothing. So I think uh, I'm passionate about affordable and accessible care for the world. And I'm passionate about helping people find the right high quality care for a transparent price. Awesome. Well, I, you definitely achieved our goal today of educating and uh, <laughs> educating and empowering consumers to, you know, be in I charge so. of their own health. And, and part of that is a big part of that is financial. So thank you for doing that. And Dutch, what's the best way somebody can get a hold of you? Dutch is on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter. And anybody can access me on those two platforms anytime they want. Awesome. I really appreciate it, Dutch. Thank you so much for um, allowing us to talk with you today. Hey, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. And Thursday, you don't want to miss out because 8 to 9 a.m., we have Dr. Annette Bosworth, also known as Dr. Boz. She's going to be talking about her most recent book, Keto Continuum. And keto is more than just about losing weight. It can be about overall health, and she will be discussing that. I am excited to have Dr. Boz on. So tune in Thursday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Dutch, thanks for tuning in today.